Good evening, Calvary Chapel, Richmond. You may be wondering, you're not Tim. You're right, I'm not. But we arm wrestled before this evening service and I won, so I get to do the, the message. Now, Pastor Tim is here. And as a matter of fact, after the service, um, Pastor Tim will come up and just do a quick announcement, kind of a survey of sorts and some information that we'll all be glad to hear, happy to hear, trying to get a consensus on things. Um, but that'll happen after the service. But before then, we can open the Word together. Let me get my glasses on so I can see things. So really excited to be here with all of you once again back in the church, kind of this middle of the week break that we get to, that we get to have um, where we get to sing and pray and hear God's word, lock arms together as brothers and sisters. Um, and I know that we don't take this lightly because many of our brothers and sisters around the world cannot do this as we do. And so we are very blessed to be able to be here. Before we get too far into tonight, we want to bring up one thing. You probably, I forgot the clicker, Sean. Can you advance the slide, please? We want to bring everybody's attention to this really horrible earthquake that took place with a lot of powerful aftershocks and Turkey and Syria. The last count I heard, it was 11,000 death toll, with many, many more still missing, many more than that hurt. And, um, you know, we're still, you know, obviously our, our brother John Samara is from Syria. His family lives there. We haven't heard yet, you know, news there. But if you wanted to pray to give, there's boots on the ground there now. Samaritan's Purse has a couple of teams there. Ananias House, I know, has people there. Open Doors, uh, I think, is landing there now. And persecution.org or International Christian Concern has people in route. So just be praying that the Lord would use this, really, this travesty um, of death and destruction to bring people back to himself. And if you do, if you feel led to give financially, those four organizations, go to their websites. There's donations just for those um, people affected by the, by the earthquake. And so, matter of fact, before we, before we do anything, let's, let's pray for them. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you now, and Lord, you, you hear the cries of your people. You hear, Lord, just uh, the desperation that is going on, the missing family members, Lord, those that have already passed. Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would anoint each of your people there, each of the servants that are there that are on the way, Lord, that you would bless the provision, the time, your word that will go forth, and Lord, may you truly be a light in these two nations. Lord, both nations suffer from severe persecution. But Lord, this is the time, Lord, where you and you alone can shine so bright. So we pray, Lord, that you would just give courage to the church. 
that many people would come and support through prayer, through provision, in so many other ways, Lord. We pray, Lord, that this would be used to bring many people, Lord, that the revival would start here in these two nations. Lord, united over this horrible natural disaster that took place, Lord, but we just pray, Lord, your hand be upon the situation. Give peace to those family members that are still searching. Give endurance necessary, Lord, to keep looking and keep working. And Lord, we just pray for your word to open eyes, open hearts. And Lord, that you would have, there would just be an awakening there, hungry for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that we can pray for these things and pray for these people. And we just pray for all those, Lord, that are still missing, Lord, that hope is not lost, Lord. We thank you for allowing us to bring these things before you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as uh, Javon mentioned, we will be back in the book of Psalms today. We took a little break, as you guys know, kind of in the holidays. There were different things that were going on. Some Wednesdays we even missed uh, for the holiday schedule. In the month of January, we took the time, as we do, to really just pray. Pray over the year, pray over different things. Um, last Wednesday, we had just a wonderful video, discipleship, uh, some food and fellowship, and then a conversation to follow, that followed. Really great video. But today, we're back in the selection from the Psalms. And again, we're not going to go through each of the Psalms, but we're just kind of picking as the number grows. We're going to be in the Psalm 90 today. We've talked about some of the background with those that have written the psalmists or the psalms. And while David, we know, wrote the majority of them, Jewish tradition identifies ten authors that wrote the psalms. Abraham, Asaph, the three sons of Korah, and Moses to list a few. Now all the people that we are, that are the psalmists understood on some level the severity and the gravity of the hardships that they faced, the impossible odds that they were up against. And really, without the divine hand of God on these situations, on these people, there would be no victory. And yet here we are, able to read about these things. These are songs that would be sung to give God glory. Because the victory and the overcoming are the result of his hand. And with our mustard seed of faith that we placed on he who that is faithful. And again, Psalm 90, Moses is the author. Now this is the only place in Psalms where Moses is the author, but the song um, Exodus 15 and Deuteronomy 32, we see the Mosaic songs, as well as De in De Deuteronomy 33, we see the blessings of the tribe of Israel. So Moses came from the Hebrew word, the word Moses, means to pull out or to draw out, normally in reference to water, 
Now there's an entire teaching just on his name, but we don't have time to go into that. And we're not going to look too deep at Moses' background. I think everybody here is fairly familiar with that, but just in way of reference, his birth starts in Exodus 2. His, his circumstances really start in Exodus 1, where the children of Israel are suffering greatly at the hand of Pharaoh. And I suppose that starts well before when Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Eventually, his father, Jacob, and the brothers of the family, 70 people, moved to Egypt. And time went by. The people multiplied. The new Pharaoh, who didn't know Joseph and all that he did for the people, for the land, became fearful because of the number that grew. The people's number grew and became mightier. And Pharaoh, the king there, was afraid that they would join forces with their enemies in a time of war, and so he enslaved them. And as you know, it got to the point where the king of Egypt ordered as a duty of a midwife to um, kill every baby boy that was born. Now, praise the Lord, the midwives didn't do this. So he took it a step further, and commanded all of his people to cast every baby boy born into the river. And so Moses, when he was born after three months, was set apart, was placed into an ark in the water. No time to go into all of that. And was placed into the river where the daughter of Pharaoh and her maidens found him and took him in. And there's so much blessing in that story, as you are all familiar with. So Moses grew up in Egypt as royalty, and with all the benefits that that brings. At some point, Moses made a choice to forsake that privilege. Hebrews 11:24 through 26 tells us, by faith, Moses when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Some of the other versions of the Bible say when they're talking about this choice, of, instead of being passing pleasure of sin, they call it instead a sin for a season. And we'll talk more about this season later. So Moses chose instead to separate himself from Pharaoh and all that that represented. And when seeing the mistreatment of his brethren, struck and killed the guard. He fled into the wilderness when he realized his secret wasn't so secret. And just a quick peek back in time, Moses has this encounter with God at the burning bush where he tells Moses in verse 7 of Exodus 3, and the Lord said, I had surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of the taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. God knows our sorrows, even when we think no one knows or no one sees a struggle. 
Even when we think no one can hear us or no one cares, God does. And he has compassion on us. And he already has a plan. So God calls Moses from shepherding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, to shepherding God's flock, his chosen people. Now we have a, I think a better appreciation of what it means to be a shepherd after seeing and discussing that video last week. And, and kind of in some way for reference or even prophecy, Genesis 15, 12 through 14 says, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he, God, said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them with four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterwards they will come out with great possessions." So before Abraham was Abram, or before Abraham was Abraham, he was still Abram. Before Isaac, this covenant takes place. And the enslavement of God's people is prophesied then. And all these years later, the prophecy, the prophecy is fulfilled. And Moses is used to bring God's people out of Egypt. Isn't that incredible? I don't know if you're like, I love, to, I love to read the prophecy and things and then see it unfold as time goes by. And so we know the life of Moses. And thinking about his challenges and the struggles, this 40-year journey in the wilderness, his victories in the Lord and his mistakes, because let's face it, he's just a man after all. Remembering all that he endured, the opposition he faced, not only from his own fleshly thinking, but obviously from Pharaoh, and really the people. The highs and lows of this life journey, but seeing this calling and responsibility, and being obedient to answer that calling from God, I think we begin to gain a better understanding of his perspective when he writes this song. And that's why I bring this up, because it's good to understand the why and the who. And we understand his life. So let's read Psalm 90. But before we do, let's pray over the word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, it builds us up, it encourages us, it grows us, it strengthens us, it corrects us, and Lord, it does so much more. It gives us peace and endurance. It gives us direction and hope and joy. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your word, and as we open your word together, we pray, Lord, that you would anoint it. Lord, that your word would go forth and open our eyes and our hearts. And Lord, that as this word is heard, Lord, change us. 
Help us understand what it is, Lord, you, you have for us. And Lord, we just thank you that we can spend this time together this evening openly and freely. And we pray your blessing upon this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's uh, read Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all the days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The last days of our lives are 70 years, or the days of our lives are 70 years. But if by reason of strength they are 80 years, Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may again gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. O oh, satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants, and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray that you would help us discern your word. Help us teach and hear and understand, Lord, that we might be more filled with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So while many of the Psalms read as songs, glorifying God and rejoicing of his magnificence, some read, like this one, like a prayer, a song of a prayer. And it has been said in many ways in a similar way, but Matthew Henry said it is supposed that this psalm was penned upon occasion of the sentence passed upon Israel in the wilderness for their unbelief, murmuring, and rebellion that their carcasses should fall in the wilderness, that they should be wasted away by a series of miseries for 38 years together, and that none of them that were then of age could enter Canaan. 
So certainly this song would seem, at least on the surface, dark and dreary. But in fact, it's filled with hope. And it was likely taught in homes as a reminder, and even in the tabernacle where the priest would cover these things. And so let's look in at verse 1 and 2 first. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth. Or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You know, we could stop right there. We read this and instantly we are more at peace. Our mind is more focused on the Lord. Even in our spirit, we have an urgency and a desire to hear more from the Lord. And only the Word of God can do this. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Let's just let that sink in for a moment. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before creation, you are God. You know, these couple of verses are some that we could be praying back to the Lord every morning of every day and every time in between. Highlight and underline these verses you haven't already because we should never lose sight of God in this way. What a way to start the song. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. We get this idea of God being our tabernacle, this movable habitation, as we kind of go through this journey. He goes where we go, or more likely he is already where we go. We read this and kind of have a sense that he is our home, our place of rest, our refuge. We are at home with the Lord because he is our refuge, our protection. Ezekiel eleven sixteen says, Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, Although I have cast them far off from among the Gentiles, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet I shall be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Or Deuteronomy thirty three twenty seven, The eternal God is your refuge. And understand are the and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you, and you and will say destroy. This eternal God of ours is our refuge. And I was kind of praying over these verses and thinking about these verses, and I was thinking about how they relate to the four gospels. And what the Gospels tell us about discipleship or the cost of discipleship. Luke 9, 57 and 58 tell us, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes 
and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And this is because we have to be willing to forsake all to follow and serve. And Jesus tells us in verse 62, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is worthy or is fit for the kingdom of God. And we already know from the book of Hebrews about Moses, Moses really took this to heart. Obviously, this was written way after. But the point is, is Moses put God first. And our obedience in following Christ and serving Christ could cost us our reputation, our friends and our family, our ability to support ourselves, our home, and even our life. But God is still our tabernacle. He's still our refuge. We have made nothing but the clothes on our back and sometimes not even that. But our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. If we know him as Lord and Savior, we know that Jesus went and prepared a place in his Father's house for us. He's still our peace and our strength and our protection. The Holy Spirit is our helper. You see, God used Moses to take the children of Israel out of a place of slavery and pain and suffering into the wilderness because he heard their cries and never forgot his covenant with his chosen people. And out of the bondage and into the wilderness, we know what happened there. We know what happened in the wilderness. Forty years of struggle. But God was still there. You know, I can't seem to get the image of that sheep from that video last Wednesday out of my head. It's funny because, you know, you watch something and it, it was definitely profound when I watched it, but the more I kind of thought about it, the more I realized the impact, just the, the, the visual of that had. It's amazing. See, the, that sheep was alone and afraid. That sheep was vulnerable to any attack and unable to fend or defend for himself. We talked about this after the video. He was wandering. He was lost. Not knowing if he should turn left or right, move forward or go back, move up or down. Not even realizing, not understanding, really, truly not comprehending the terrain and the terror and the destruction that awaited. But this is such a picture of us. But God is still there. See, the sheep didn't see anybody around him. But God saw him. God sees us. And the sheep lost in the countryside, in the wilderness, he sent a shepherd to rescue him. And that shepherd provides comfort and love and guidance, instruction and feeding 
watering, protection, and so much more. And God sent Moses for such a time as that. Now we no longer have Moses, but we have God. We have Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, for such a time as this. He goes on and he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before creation, you are God. This is absolutely incredible stuff. Verse 3 continues with, You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. You might say, Wait a minute. This you, this capital U, man, you, God, turn man to destruction? Is this an area in the Bible that contradicts itself? In fact, I've heard people say that it does. Because doesn't God not make men sin? Of course he doesn't. And this isn't a place of contradiction. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. God doesn't contradict himself. The you turned man to destruction is a reference to the deity of God. But more in the Exodus, or I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3 context. God made the body of man from dust and breathed life into it. And dust is what our body will return to upon our physical death. This is the general sentence of death and of the results of our of the sin that we commit, <clears throat> followed by the general resurrection that follows. Hebrews 9.27 reminds us, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Because everyone will face death at some point in our life. Moses was no stranger to seeing death. Out of all the people that he led during this time, how many people do you think he saw? Sometimes thousands at a time. And so why would it be mentioned here? Because this verse, and any other verse like it, talks about the fragility of life. How quickly time goes by. That we're not promised tomorrow. Or even the next, this next minute. So how are we living for Christ now, verse 4 says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it was past, and like a watch in the night. Like a watch in the night, think about it as a third part of the night. Exodus fourteen twenty four says, Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. So this watch of the night is just a portion of the night. But let's be careful with this verse. This isn't a reference to one day to God is equal to a thousand here. That's not what we're trying to peddle. Because that's not true. <clears throat> because a day is a day. Even in the Genesis account, these things took place. The day and the night was a day. 
24 hours, one revolution around the sun. That's a day. So remember the, and we also see this in, in 2 Peter 3, 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So when we see this kind of thing, it's a reference to the infinite disproportion there is between God and mankind. Some would even make the argument that prior to the flood, people lived longer, almost a thousand years in some cases. So 1,000 years is one lifetime. But even in that, what is that to an infinite God? Especially now, it's an impossibility for us. We don't live that long anymore. But even if we did, our life would still be a vapor. So this is a reference to time for us as fleeting, it escapes us, but not God. And something to consider because God is infinite. He is without beginning or end. Today is present for us. But a thousand years ago, for him, could be present because he's outside of time. The same way, the same reason he knew us before we were in our mother's womb. And the best way to help us kind of explain the word, the Bible, is with the Bible. So looking at verse 5 and 6, you carry them away like a flood, they are like asleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up, in the morning it flourishes and grows up, in the evening it is cut down and withers. We see similar verses in Psalm 103.15 and 1 Peter 1.24, but we don't have time to read those. The point here, guys, is the time we have on this earth is fast. We are closer now to being with the Lord compared to when this service even started. So please don't get hung up with these numbers. The importance is time as it passes for us. It's almost unobserved, and then it's over. So the psalm continues, For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your countenance. The verse starts off with the word for. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We are terrified. For what reason have the children of Israel been consumed by God's anger? And why was his wrath upon them? Sin. It's always sin. The disobedience, the hard-heartedness, turning away from God, idol worship, pride, it's a very long list. See, the secret sin is only secret if we think nobody knows. Moses thought no one saw him kill the man. He thought it was a secret until he realized it wasn't. And when he realized that was exposed, he fled. Proverbs 20, 27 says, The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. So even if Moses got away with murder, and many do, 
God still knows. And God has a way of bringing these things to light. That's why he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, John chapter, or James chapter 5. Don't keep those things a secret any longer. Don't let Satan have dominion in and over you and your life in that area or those areas. Confess them and pray over them so that you can be healed. So Moses continues, for all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days, our lives are 70 years. I can't seem to read that the right way. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength, they are 80 years. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. These are such sobering verses. This entire psalm is sobering. Such a thing to think about. For all of our days have passed away in your wrath. We won't have a long life, nor a pleasant one. I know this is a really upbeat. And to live and to strive and to go through the pain and the turmoil, a life of disobedience, believing in a form of religion that's our own, but getting nothing from it, and to finish our days like a sigh. A life full of sorrow, this prolonged effort that literally comes to nothing. And such a picture of a life not lived for Christ. Today, in our grand scheme of time, we think 70 years is a long life to live, and 80 is even greater. But if we are living for ourselves, what's the result? Our boast is only labor and sorrow. It is soon cut off, and always too soon. And then we fly away. Well, there you go. But the incredible part that's really sad is with the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness... God present as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to guide with Moses to shepherd. And as they walk, this, this life that is described by Moses, <clears throat> the children of Israel, they had a choice that they made for themselves in their disobedience, in their unbelieving sinful hearts. This was their choice. But today, nothing's changed. And Moses described the current state of things, right? We saw that throughout this. But we see in verse 11 and 12 kind of a change because he begins to plea for the people. Moses is acting as an advocate for the people. Don't we need an advocate? Don't we have an advocate in Jesus Christ? <clears throat> he says, who knows the power of your anger? For as for the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may again, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 
A rhetorical question, it would seem. Who knows the power of your anger? Well, no one. No one knows the power of God's anger. It's beyond our comprehension. But why does it ever have to come to that? Why does it ever have to come to God's wrath before we begin to understand? Clearly, God isn't pleased with his people, but that never registers with them. They never understand that, but neither do we. A. Weiser stated, The poet observes that part of the nature of sin is that men hardly ever realize the ultimate relationship between mortality and sin because they only live for the moment. Boy, isn't that true. Now, the other part of this is we don't realize because we we truly can't see it. We can't comprehend it that what we're about to commit truly puts us on the path of destruction. We're blinded by our own desires, our own ambitions, goals, and we don't have a way to see the danger unless the Lord illuminates it for us. He says, so to teach us to number our days. Why? Why would he say to teach us to number our days? To gain wisdom. To gain the wisdom that's necessary. Help us be wise. Help us make good choices. Not for ourselves, but may it be your will. Help us understand how fleeting life really is so we don't waste precious time on things that don't matter. Help us get, not get caught up in the traps and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Like the ten virgins, we don't want to be like the five who are unwise. Help us keep oil in our lamp so we are watching and ready, but the door isn't closed to us. And notice that Moses doesn't exclude himself from the group. And neither did Paul when he said that he was the chief of sinners. Moses said, us. It's never an us compared to them thing, or at least it shouldn't be. Now, pride has a way of making us think differently. But Moses recognizes his own part in all of this. He is just as much at fault as anyone else. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This heart starts, or this starts, when we are humble enough to see that our sin also put Jesus on the cross. Pastor Tim talked about this last Sunday. Even if we don't think it compares to the sin that we see around us, our sin still put Jesus on the cross. But why have a heart of wisdom? Because the heart is deceitfully above all things. I'm sorry. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We need a heart of wisdom, a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. We need to have this restorative work 
from God to be done before this is possible. And Moses is saying this. The new heart we gain is one of wisdom, but we need God to provide it. So this is what Moses is asking for. So let's finish the last five verses verses, with the remainder of Moses' plea. He says, Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which we have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to the children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. <clears throat> he says, return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. We see a statement, really an exclamation, a question, and then a request. Return us, God, or return to us, God. Return your favor to us. How long do we have to endure your wrath? Return us, God, and have compassion on your servants. An entire generation of people never stepped foot in the promised land. <clears throat> Moses saw it when God took him up on the mountain, but he never stepped foot in it. And kind of an interesting turn of events, right? How many times do we read where God is saying, turn back to me? Oh, how I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. But we don't. But when things get really rough, what is Moses saying? Return to us. But that's the right thing to ask. You see, because, and we've said this before, but it's always good to understand these things. God is love, absolutely. He is forgiving, for sure. He is caring, yes. But he's also righteous. And we never should lose sight of that. Because there's always repercussions to our hard hearts and our disobedience. And there's always going to be consequences to sin every single time. A similar verse we find in the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, 36, for the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is no one remaining, bond or free. O satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad in all our days. Again, time is the theme here. Moses goes back to the significance of time. As we spend this time in wrath, which seems to take forever, he's now asking, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad in all of our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you've afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Think about the affliction Moses mentions here compared to what Paul talks about in the letter to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4.17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. 
Paul's at call light affliction compared to God's eternal wrath. Think about when we serve our Lord, yes, we are afflicted. Absolutely. Compare that to eternity in God's wrath. It doesn't even compare. So Paul calls it a light affliction once again, but again, it more has to do with us serving the Lord, not being disobedient. So the problem with the Israelites in the wilderness is that they were too concerned with what they saw before them and around them. And this is us today. Because in verse 18, in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, Well, we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are seen are eternal. If we get too caught up in looking at the things before us, we let the world take us away. In the last couple of verses, let your work appear to your servants and the glory to their children and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. How much more work and the works of God is necessary? Think about the miracles that the children saw for 40 years. Think about our lives today. And he says, give us this opportunity and to our children and their children that the things that we do, the work that is performed, is done for the glory of God and not for ourselves, not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15-58 says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work, of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The work of God will endure, and so will the work of those that follow God. So let's close. Now looking back on the things that we talked about, we saw the need for God's people wandering in the wilderness to turn from their sin and repent and follow God. Knowing the life of Moses and the Exodus account, we still see in all of this the mercy of God, his grace, his strength. But we also see the, the depravity of man and the fear and the unbelief and the selfishness and the pride and the darkness that surrounds and consumes but all of that should look familiar to us because where are we in all of that? George Mueller said, there was a day when I died. Died to self, my opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame given of me by my, by my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. So tonight, let's look inward as we close things out. And let's see where we've missed the mark. 
or maybe where we have outright sin in our lives. Let's reach, let's reach out to a trusted brother or a sister and admit these things so we can pray together over them and seek repentance and forgiveness. And we do this so the enemy no longer has dominion over our lives in these areas. And if we do this with, with sincerity and a broken heart, we know that God will definitely answer these prayers. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that you've given us this opportunity to come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and for your grace. Forgive us, Lord, where we have fallen short in so many areas of our lives, where we have forgotten, where we have turned away. Lord, we just lay these things before you now. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of these sins. Help us repent. Help us truly turn away from these things that we won't pick them back up. And Lord, that through these things, you would be honored and glorified. We pray for each of our brothers and sisters here, Lord. Those that are watching here online, in the building. Lord, the things that weigh heavy upon their hearts, you see them. Give them the courage. Give us each the courage, Lord, to do what would bring you glory. Thank you that we could hear your word. Thank you that we could spend this time together. And Lord, as we live, leave this place, you would be honored and glorified by all that we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. So before